0: Hopefully, Phil, we've got a little video to start with. I share that video as one who had a very similar experience going to a park once with my kids. So uh, it was about a year ago or so. Uh, We have uh, Ella and Jed, as you know, we've just seen at the front. Ella's now six, Jed is three. Sarah was in bed poorly, I can't remember what, or just pretending to be poorly to have some time off with the kids. And so it was a sunny day, so I thought I'd take the kids to the park, Um, but not being the primary caregiver, Sarah spends more time with the kids than I do. I did a classic schoolboy era. I went to the park without any food, without any water, and without any wet wipes. Just thought, it'll be fine, right? It'll be fine. Just go to the park. It's a sunny day. We're just going for an hour. It'll be fine. Got to the park, which is just outside Ella's school, about a two or three minute drive, and all was going fairly swimmingly until Ella decided that she needed the toilet, and Dads and daughters, I don't feel like I've got the hang of this girl going to the toilet business, not on a toilet quite yet. So here's me by a tree, you can imagine the scene, kind of hands up, bottom down, trying everywhere. Unfortunately, not having this very much, I ended up with wee where I didn't really want it, all over her trousers, over most of my hands, quite a disaster, you can imagine the scene quite a disaster, with no wet wipes with me at all. Anyway, we managed to somehow get through that moment. Just kind of just okay, we fine, whatever, we carry on. So Ella goes back into the park, she climbs on one of the climbing frames and puts her foot through one of the slats, ends up kind of dangling halfway down this wooden thing, you know, trousers covered, not dry, now now crying as she's sort of hanging off, there's me clambering up, trying to rescue her from that. All the while Jed is stuck on a swing. I get him, I get her down, get her sorted, Jed goes, I'm hungry. Oh no. Ella goes, I'm thirsty. Okay, kids, let's just go home. Sarah's like, oh, how was your trip to the park, dear? Well, it was okay, but anyway, never again will I go to a park without wet wipes, food, or a drink. So if that's all you learned from this morning, then that's a good thing. So our parenting journey, like anyone's really, has had many ups and downs, many amazing and fun moments, many challenging moments, many ah moments, many moments of despair. And I don't think anything can quite prepare you for the challenge of having a child. Those of you who have got children in the room, whether that's a recent experience or whether your children have all grown up and you can't quite remember the baby years, somehow we have this amazing memory as humans to sort of forget the slightly challenging early stages of uh, children's lives. I mean, we haven't got to the teenage years yet, so I'll be saying it differently in 10 years. But I remember when Sarah was pregnant with Ella, our first. We went around to a couple's house in the church for an evening. Uh, Sarah was about eight or nine, eight months pregnant, probably very, very close to giving birth. And through the course of the evening, they very lovingly and graciously tried to prepare us for what was to come and sort of talked about the challenges and the changes of life and how we'll have to adjust and maybe there'll be sleepless nights and there'll be some challenges along the way. We sort of nodded appreciatively, thanks, thanks very much for that. And I remember getting into the car, both of us looking at each other and saying, what happened to them? What's wrong with their kids? They didn't sleep, they were tough. Us being wonderfully and blissfully naive driving home that night, thinking must be to do with the quality of the parenting going on there. It didn't take us long into parenting to realise that it wasn't just them, but actually we were the ones who had been blissfully naive, and we went on a fun, and we're still on this fun and amazing journey of discovering parenting and all of its challenges and all of its fun moments and the sleepless nights and the times when you think, is this child ever going to get to sleep? Those of you with young children in the room, We'll be living that at the moment. Callum and Katie, hello. And I think there's something, though, that is in us that keeps on enduring and keeps on pouring ourselves into our children's lives, that keeps on going, that keeps on saying we're going to give of ourselves time and time again to our children, and we're going to pour ourselves into them for their good and to raise them and to train them. Now, what is it that helps us to lay down ourselves for their good and to be uplifters of them and to invest ourselves into them. Quite simply, it's the love that we have for them, right? It's this wonderful love that comes in the moment when a, when a child is born and, you're, you're and this wonderful and overwhelming love just comes upon you and you're like, wow, this is a child that's from me and I love them and I want to care for them and nurture them and nourish them. It's the love that helps us to endure and to hold firm and to discipline and to laugh and to teach them and to pour ourselves into them. But have you ever sat and wondered where our capacity to love comes from? You see, love for our children is not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling that one day I do or don't. It's something that's steadfast. It's something that's hardwired into us as humans. It's something that is in our DNA. It's more than just a feeling of today or a feeling of tomorrow. And you see, the Bible tells us that love is indeed hardwired into us because we're made in the image of God himself, and that God is love, and that everything he does is loving. And and the Bible says, at the very beginning of time, we are made in the image of God. We share attributes and the characteristics of God himself. So when it says God is love, he says, you humankind have the capacity to love because you're made in my image. You're made to be like me, to to represent me. You see, when a husband loves his wife, it's like showing the love of God to somebody. When a father loves his child, it's like a demonstration. We can see it's like the love of God on display. You see, because we're image bearers of God, that's the Christian worldview, that we're image bearers of God, and we carry his attributes. And it's in our DNA. It's hardwired into us. And you see, Really, one of the dominant threads through the whole Bible is love. And if, if, if anything this morning, I just want you to go away that God is love, and God loves you. And the message of the Bible is that God loves you. He made you, and he loves you, and he knows you. And we'll see a bit later about how he shows his love to human kinds. And the Bible says a lot about love a lot of the time. But nowhere is that more famous than in a scripture that is read time and time again at weddings, over and over again. Written in a book called Corinthians to a church in Corinth planted by one of the pioneers of the early church called Paul, which is Corinth is in modern day Greece. And he writes this chapter, which we now know as chapter 13, which you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most famous passages of scripture that anybody will ever read come across. And Paul is writing here in the context to a church community. He's writing to a Christian community. But really, when we look at what Paul is describing here, it it does play its way out in any human relationship. That actually, as a husband, I'm called to love like this. As a father, I'm called to love like this. As a member of the church community, I'm called to love like this. As someone who plays my way out in society, I'm called to love like this. And so it plays its way out in the context of all human relationships. And I'm really going to think about it this morning from the point of view of the parenting relationship and some of the things that we want to bring out from that. So I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It's come up on the screen as well. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, And all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And we get to these wonderful characteristics of love, which many of you will have heard and will know. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. This is talking about the future hope that we have as Christians in Jesus. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul bookends this section at the start and the beginning by talking about the greatness and the permanence of love. He starts off by talking about about the wonder of love and about actually how we can act in any way, but if it's not out of love, it's like nothing. It's empty. And then he ends it by talking about the greatness and the permanence of love. Love never fails. It's the greatest out of all these things remain. And it's a permanent thing that goes on and on. You see, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about this in the context of parenting, if I, if I discipline my child but not out of love, it's empty. If I buy my children every gift under the sun and give them all the money in the world, but I don't love them, it's like I gain nothing. It's like everything is formed and flows through love. You see, we only have in the English language one use of the word love. So we say, I love you as much as I love my Xbox or I love my favorite football team, which for me is Plymouth Argyle. Many of you may not even know who they are, some people do. So we, we just we just it's the same word, but in the Greek, which this text is written in, they have many different uses. They have many different words to describe love, and the word that Paul is using here is agape love or agape love, which is like a love that is self-sacrificing. It's giving of yourself. It sacrifices everything for the good of others. It's love that doesn't change. It's love which doesn't give in order to get back. It's love which gives and gives. And keeps on giving and endures. So when we're thinking about love here, it's this love which is pouring and giving and self-sacrificing. It's the kind of love that is being talked about here. And Paul isn't writing and saying, here's a list of emotions. I feel patient today. I feel kind today. He's like, no, love is demonstrated in action. Love means patience. Love is patience. Love is kindness. And that's why in the middle of these passages, we get these 15 characteristics that Paul talks about. This is what love looks like. Love in action looks like agape love, self-sacrificing love, looks like giving of yourself. It looks like not being self-seeking. It looks like patience and kindness and not being easily angered. You know, in the context of parenting, it means that we love our kids and we're patient with them, even when it's at 3 a.m. in the morning. Even when there's a toddler tantrum, even in the mystery of the teenage years, it means that we don't dishonor our children, but we always seek to honor and uplift and encourage and, and bring, bring honor to them, and to be uplifters of them in their lives. It means, as a parent, we, we seek to not be self-seeking, but to be serving to our children. Parenting can sometimes feel like a one-way ticket, right? Right? When you're pouring yourself out, you're not sure if anything's going in and you're not sure if anything's coming back. But actually, agape love, it's this pouring in. It's this self-sacrificing, not because of what you get back, but because love is not self-seeking. Love is giving and giving and keep on giving of yourself. And the last of these 15 characteristics that Paul lists is that love always protects and it always perseveres. And he says love doesn't give up. Love keeps on going. It keeps on pouring in through the ups and the downs of life and the ups and downs of parenting. The greatness of agape love is that it keeps on giving and it keeps on bearing and believing and hoping and enduring. That's the greatness of love that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. But I don't know about you, but... If I held a mirror up of 1 Corinthians 13 against myself, I would know that I, very often, do not act in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 demonstrates. I would know that I am not always patient. I would know that I'm not always kind. I would know that I get angry. I would know that there are times my motivations are self-seeking. I would hold up a mirror and I'd I'd look at 1 Corinthians 13 and go, you know that is not like me all of the time. I fall short of that. And I suspect, and I would imagine, and I would believe that everybody in this room would go, do you know what, if I held a mirror up, that I too would know that, that I don't, these 15 characteristics are not demonstrated in my life all the time in, any of, in all my human relationships. And for many of us, when that happens, we either feel guilty, oh, I got angry with my kids again. I feel guilty. Or we wish we could be better, I must do better. I must try harder. I must strive to be different. I must strive to just be a little bit more patient with my children. And I think in our culture, whether or not you would call yourself a Christian this morning, you would recognize that those characteristics of love are not always things that you demonstrate, are not always things that you live out in your life. You'd say, well, I'd like to show that kind of agape love, but how do I do that? And at large, our culture would say it's found in something it, or found in ourselves, or it's found in, in, in self help, or those kind of things. But the message of Christianity is that true love, true transformation, true change isn't found within ourselves. It isn't found through self help. It isn't found through Google searching, but it's found in a person. A person called Jesus Christ, the one man who walked the earth. And all the time, every time, demonstrated agape love. You could replace 1 Corinthians 13, the word love, with Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Every word where it says love, that is what Jesus was like. You will, if you read this book, the Gospel Account, you will see Jesus Christ acting out of love. He always sought to love and to bless and to honor others. You'll see somebody who always humbled himself for the uplifting of others. You'll see somebody who was never self-seeking. And you'll see somebody whose life was characterized by love for those that society would never love. For the poor, the tax collector, the prostitutes, the sinner, the sick, the broken, people from every tribe and nation, God says, Jesus says, I'm going to demonstrate what love looks like to all these people. But more than his life... More than Jesus' life, it's his death on the cross which demonstrates his ultimate and unconditional love for us. Jesus, on the first Easter, willingly hangs on a wooden cross, betrayed by everybody he knew, by his friends and his family, beaten and tortured and rejected. And he hangs on a wooden cross as the ultimate demonstration of love and of giving of himself for the good of all mankind. He hangs on the wooden cross carrying all the weight and the pain of mankind's rebellion and wrongdoing to deal with the problem, not of external, but of the real problem, the human heart. And he hangs there to deal with the issue of the human heart, the rebellion that we have all committed against God. The Bible puts it like this in a book called 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He hung on a wooden cross to demonstrate the love of God and to redeem mankind. Jesus' love was never tainted by selfishness or pride. It never fatigued, it never changed, it still never changes, it never fails, it never ends. He chose to love us, not because we loved him first, but because he loves us and because God loves you. Jesus is the ultimate example of agape love in action. If you want to know what true love looks like, if you want to know how to live true love in your life, look to Jesus, who selflessly lays down his life to restore all that had been lost through man's rebellion and man's wrongdoing and to deal decisively with the issue of the human heart. And by looking to his example, by inviting him to be first and central, by asking for his help through his spirit, by imitating him, he changes us and we become more like him. We learn to love like he loves us, sacrificially, unconditionally. Agape love. Parents this morning, I just want to say, God doesn't ask you to parent in your own strength. If you want to know how to truly love, look to Jesus lean upon him, ask him, learn from him, look to his example through his son, Jesus Christ, and let that overflow into how you parent and raise your children. Grow an understanding of his love and what he has done for you and let that overflow into your love for your children, into love for the relationships that you have around you. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. I just want to finish by reading that Again, Jesus did not envy, he did not boast, he's not proud. Jesus never dishonored others, he was not self-seeking, he was not easily angered, he kept no record of wrongs. Jesus' love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Let me just pray, and then I'm just going to invite Colin just to come up and and close, close this morning. Father, I want to thank you for your great love. This wonderful agape love for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. I want to thank you. That's the love that you demonstrated on the cross. That's the love that that we are recipients of today as those who know you. I pray that that we would know greater depths to where you went. We would understand more how far you went for us to demonstrate the love of God and to know that true transformation, true life, true love is found by looking to the example of Jesus Christ and to inviting him to come and be first and central in our lives. I pray for every person here, whether they know you or not, I pray they may understand, they may have the power to grasp just how much you love them, Lord. Just how much you love them that God indeed does love each and every person in this room, and that he is made in the image of God. I pray, Lord God, that you would would reveal yourself more to each of us in this room. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Amen.